Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mark Rayshap. This is Another Bottle Down, where we talk about wine in the wine industry. But today we have a slight departure from that, and we're going to talk about probably uh, the wine-loving community's second most favorite thing, which is chocolate. Um, and I'm here with the owners of uh, Chocolaterie Tessa, uh, and uh, it's a, a pleasure to uh, welcome Matt and Tessa Halstead into the studios of Co-op. Um, their chocolates are uh, just delightful complex. Um, I had the pleasure of tasting through some of them, and um, they are, are just super high quality. And you guys have a, a little bit of a wine background as well. So we're going to be talking over the next 45 minutes or so uh, all about the intersection of um, chocolate and wine and and uh, terroir of chocolate and all those kind of geeky things. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Tessa and Matt. Welcome to the studios. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. for having us. Mark. Thanks for having us. Well, um, I'd like just to start off by talking about how you got into the wine business. And, um, and, and Tessa, you come from a background of uh, chocolate makers. That's right. I, I grew up in the chocolate business. Um, my dad started his chocolate shop the year I was born after living with a family in Holland for a couple years and doing a very traditional apprenticeship. Wow. So he traded his labor for learning the skills um, yeah. and he was trained in the very traditional European style so I grew up in that business and have always had an appreciation for fine foods my yeah. you know my family has been interested in great food and wine for many many years so yeah. it's something that uh, has always been for me. Yeah, well, I, and I'd like that over the course of our conversation for the the concept of, you know, this traditional chocolate making to kind of unf un unfold. Um, can you kind of give us a, a um, just overview? What does that mean, traditional chocolate making? Sure. So when you think about chocolate today, most Americans are used to Hershey bars, Snickers bars, Mars bars, but it's really only been over the last maybe five or 10 years that you've started to see more specialty bars pop up at stores like Central Market, Whole Foods, um, and, and even some, you know, HEBs will carry some more international chocolates now that that never used to be the case before. So when we, when we say European style, we're really talking about a high quality, a level of um, beans that are really uh, more uh, carefully selected than yeah. what you're going to find in a Hershey's bar. And we're talking about a level of processing and um, care and attention that's that's very natural. You want it as close to the natural product as can be. So we're talking no artificial colors, right. no artificial flavors, no life extenders. Um, our chocolates are extremely fresh. We make them fresh every week. Wow. So you can really taste that in the final product. Well, wow. For the wine lover, it's I think the, the comparison is just a typical table wine versus a single vintage, single vineyard production. Right. And you, know, you go from something that's satisfying but simple to something the complexity of which know no bound and so fine chocolate made in the traditional european style using the finest quality beans really is a direct parallel to you know your finest right. burgundies bordeaux you know whatever it might be where you're really trying to let the the bean or the grape 
express itself at this right. highest level. Right. Absolutely. And that, that conversation can be uh, 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 correlated to, you know, fine artisan uh, clothes making, mm-hmm. uh, winemaking, and just this attention to detail. Um, did you, as you were kind of growing up, so you were exposed to this really nice chocolate. Um, did you, did you kind of uh, look down at, at uh, you know, what was it like? I mean, was there never a Hershey's chocolate bar or any like? Well, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, people ask me that all the time. Um, I, I would say that my father and I, especially out of all the people in our family, we are true candy lovers. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we will, uh, you know, if we're at a, at a, outdoor gathering and they're serving s'mores with Hershey bars. I'm not going to turn my nose up at that. But I could just um, see that. I could just see Halloween being like, no, no, no. not that. <laughs> yeah, we're not snobs. But, you know, we choose we choose the the finer things in life just like everybody else yeah, does. So, yeah. um, you know, growing up it was really more like my parents taught me, well, you have choices. Sure. And, you know, you can choose what you want to eat and there's times and a place for everything. Yeah. However, on a daily basis, I choose fine chocolate yeah. in general. Can you lead us through um, the process? I think that some people listening out there uh, might not be familiar with the, the the process, you know, coming from where the beans are grown through the whole chocolate making process. In fact, I, I don't, I think I don't really know exactly how chocolate is made. Sure. And, and I understand, as I understand it, um, not every place is bean to bar or, you know, th- yeah. th- that that topic. Yeah. So um, something that's different about our business is that while we are not bean to bar and, and to define that quickly, bean to bar is when um, a chocolate maker will source beans, um, which is a raw raw plant product basically and then they will turn that into the chocolate that we're used to seeing like a hershey bar or a fine finer quality bar Um, what we do that's very different is we work with some of the best chocolate makers in the world we work with french chocolate makers belgian chocolate makers and several american craft chocolate makers and we use those chocolates to make our confections Uh so we're kind of taking your traditional confectioner to the next level in that we're really sourcing superior quality chocolates to use in our box chocolates that's our specialty yeah we're we're box chocolate confectioners right um so when you think about a box of godiva um, that has a lot of cachet, but we're we're really like a Godiva, but a hundred percent natural and using the world's finest chocolates. Yeah. So, so what are the, the the kind of the tricks that maybe some larger chocolate producers can use? I mean, they put preservatives. You you, you yes. alluded to this. Yeah. So. Um, most chocolates that you find that are commercially commercially available, uh, those have been made maybe six to eight months prior to when you're consuming them. Wow. Ours are three weeks or less. Wow. Uh, and especially at this time of year, um, you know, you're getting the freshest product that you could buy anywhere in the world. Yeah. It's extremely fresh. Um, but really what makes ours company very unique is that we have such a direct connection to the farmers via our craft chocolate makers. So for instance, one of my favorite American craft chocolatiers, um, he's based out of Utah. It's called a mono chocolates and they're generally recognized worldwide for being some of the best craft chocolate makers in the world. And what 
the owner of that company, Art Pollard, does is he goes directly to the source. He goes to Madagascar, to Ecuador, to Venezuela, um, all all over the chocolate making regions of the world, and he finds the best beans. And then he works with them on their fermentation. So many people don't realize that chocolate, like wine, is a fermented food. So um, like wine, so many of the complexities and flavors are developed in the fermentation process. So Art will work with them to say, hey, okay, this is what I think is the best expression of this bean. How can we coax that out? You know, how long should the fermentation be? And then from there, um, he will take that and roast to the perfect temperature. Right. So, um, you know, just like just like winemaking, you, you have to understand that, you know, part of it is the ingredient and part of it is the skill of the winemaker or the chocolatier. Right. Um, so having access to those chocolates really makes my job so much easier because I'm already starting with some of the world's best ingredients. Right. So you've had you've had to search out these 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 chocolate makers and mm-hmm. and you found them all over the world. Is all it, over the world. Yeah. Yeah. And is there a different style to maybe American chocolate uh, makers uh, as opposed to the European ones? And, Definitely. I, th- yeah. I think that each maker is different in their own way. Um, we just brought on a great new maker from Washington State. And he has a very scientific background. So with all of his chocolates, um, he has the recipe number, the the conching time. (laughs) um, Was it a light roast or a dark roast? So he has all these iterations that he's, you know, very transparent about. And so we selected 100% Madagascar from him that's a light roast and a long conch. Yeah. And then he has, you know, a short conch or a dark roast. So all of these different iterations really do ultimately go into how your chocolate tastes. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting with Americans is I would say there's less tradition mm-hmm. and less institutionalization of the industry. And they're more inclined yeah. to take risks. Cool. And you have guys that are guys and gals in the business now that are doing it because they love it. And you get some wacky folks out there trying all sorts <laughs> of things. And so we're really seeing, you know, most of the innovation in fine chocolate, craft chocolate, is now coming from the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where and where you you have a lot of tradition, a lot of rules, you know, in in France, you know, who would have thought? Right. Uh, you don't have that here. <laughs> you don't have that framework here. And so what we see is you know, folks that are trying new things yeah. and creating a lot of exciting flavors. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. And uh, also I see that you you kind of cite where a lot of these chocolates are from. I mean, almost mm-hmm. the, the particular, not just the, the, the country of origin, mm-hmm. but also you're, you're kind of trying to highlight, you know, the region, the, the, region, mm-hmm. uh, the specific terroir. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, this is always a, a, a tricky thing with the wine industry because it's like, how much do you demand from your consumer, you know? Uh, do you feel like um, you're kind of on this crusade to, to let everybody know more? Um, is it an uphill battle? Where it, does it go? You know, it, It's definitely an uphill battle because I think another parallel to wine is for many people, it can be very intimidating. Yeah. If you're not a regular wine drinker, um, going into a, a liquor store and choosing the right bottle of wine to bring to a family gathering can be scary almost. Yeah. Uh, chocolate's very much that way. And, you know, I had a different upbringing because that was my father's business. But um, I think that what I really try to do in my shop is 
help people to experience chocolate in a new way and yeah. help them to understand that all chocolate is not generic chocolate. Right. There are nuances and there's wonderful expressive flavors. And with our single origin line, um, that's what we're really trying to focus on. We're trying to show people that wonderful chocolates, truly the most superior and high quality chocolates in the world, they don't need any extra flavoring. They're flavorful as they are. Right. So I've mentioned Madagascar a couple of times. That's extremely citrusy, berry flavors, uh, and that's just a natural thing. I don't add anything to it. And you can taste that right away. Wow. Uh, and all of our origins are very distinct in flavors. I've, I've worked with the makers specifically to create our single origin collection so that for a new, someone new to chocolate or even someone that's been eating chocolate for a long time um, can actually taste very unique flavors in each piece. So you can train your palate to pick those things up, which is a very new concept for many. Right. And, and I'm a huge fan in the wine world of comparative tastings, just mm -hmm. like what you say, because, you know, you might have one wine, uh, you know, at, at one point and you have nothing to compare it for, compare it to. And when you have right. these side by side tastings, um, it just highlights the same sort of thing. Can you give us, so you mentioned Madagascar chocolate. Can we kind of talk about, give us uh, our listeners the cliff notes of, mm -hmm. you know, what to expect from kind of some of the other single sure. origins? Sure. So another one of my favorite origins that we have right now is a Dominican Republic. Um, it's very orangey. <laughs> I mean, so I said, you know, fruity with Madagascar, but this is a different kind of fruit. This is an orange um, bergamot, cinnamon clove. It's it's almost a, just a very holiday flavor. And that's chocolate. coming from the actual chocolate, not uh, because I think that a lot of chocolates do have, um, you know, like orange zest put in them. Mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. Put, yeah. Absolutely. And we do several flavored chocolates as well. But these chocolates... Um, yeah, it just tastes like a Christmas yeah. orange. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that's a Dominican Republic. That's a, that's one of my favorites. I also have a Papua New Guinea. That's probably one of Matt's favorites. Yeah, I favorites. like the Papua New Guinea. And it's interesting because you have a very moist climate. And so it's really tough to, to, to complete the drying process successfully mm -hmm. without help. And mm -hmm. so what the locals do there is they use campfires to help pull the humidity and the moisture out of the beans during the drying process. Oh, wow. And that flavor is not lost. And so when you taste a Papua New Guinea origin, if made correctly, the smokiness just just jumps out and hits you mm -hmm. in the face. Mm -hmm. wow. And you're like, wow, what is that? And, and we find most of our customers and most folks, I think, in general are pretty discerning. You just have to help guide them through right. the process. Right. Mm -hmm. And they need to see that, you know, see that comparative tasting. And mm -hmm. the beauty of it is a lot of that legwork, I think, has already been done by folks in the cheese business or the beer business right. or the mm -hmm. wine business. And so people, I think, are generally receptive to it. They sort of get the commonalities that these industries have. And when you can help highlight exactly what Tessa is talking about, the difference between Madagascar and Ecuador, and then say, hey, I know what I like, right. mm -hmm. it becomes pretty pretty exciting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, you know, and I, I'm as you're talking about these different flavors, it's almost like, you know, I'm thinking in my head, um, oh, what wine would would uh, you know, a lover of that kind of chocolate, what would what wine would they like? I mean, is it, you know, the citrusy Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand or is it something, you know, smoky? Um, yeah. And we're going to talk about wine and, and chocolate pairings in a second here. Mm -hmm. um, any other single origin, other single origins? Did um, we cover it all? Another favorite, I would have to say, is the Ecuador that we have. 
Um, when I think about a dark chocolate, uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of dark chocolate in general. But the Ecuador, it it is to me, you know, when you think about what dark chocolate should be, it is that. So it's intense. Yeah. It's a little bit earthy, a little bit minerally, um, but never going too far in one direction. Right. So it is still smooth and elegant. Um, and I think that the Ecuador is definitely one of my best sellers because it does capture the essence of dark chocolate. Yeah. Something that's cool that we've discovered as we've been working and experimenting with these origins is the higher you go up in the cocoa content, you get this amazing backbone of acidity. And so that combination paired with the richness of the of the ganache that, that we prepare, is just, it's an incredible combination. And so you have this intense, powerful chocolate, this rich backbone of your of your dairy, but this beautiful acidity that comes through the middle of it. And that's something as we've dug into these higher cacao percentages and these origin collections that we've really discovered, wow, it, it, it just provides all the natural components in one total package. Yeah. And you just get out of the way and let them go to work. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That, that, that idea, I think that most people don't think of chocolate as being, you know, having acidity and, and that sort of, um, you know, that that's an interesting component. Um, is there tannin too to chocolate? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, when they perceive the bitterness in the higher percentage cocos, that's what they're picking up on. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about, you, you mentioned uh, preparing the, gana- the ganache, right? Um, can you talk about that? Um, you know, mm-hmm. that is something that you do in-house, and that probably is a very defining style, right? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that I'm a huge stickler about is texture. Okay. And I think what you'll find uh, in a lot of chocolate across the U.S. is uh, imperfect ganache, which is imperfect texture. So if you've ever tasted a bonbon and, you know, the mouthfeel is not quite right or maybe it's a little bit grainy or, you know, the flavors don't seem to combine, that's a sign that the ganache hasn't been made very well. And so one of the things that I've honed over the last several years is really defining our style to being synonymous with perfect texture. Mm. So we work a lot on, you know, if it's going to be crunchy, it better be the right amount of crunchy. If it's going to be soft, it better be the right, right. amount of soft. Right. Um, and and that's, that's really part of the art form. Right. So when we work with our craft chocolates, we do several iterations, um, you know, with our ratios, you know, how much cream, how much butter, how much chocolate, all of that factors into the ultimate taste of your chocolate, which is your, your texture and your mouthfeel. Right. Do you pay attention, uh, as much as to the origin of the the cream and the, and the butter and that sort of thing? I mean, is it, we use all local, um, Texas dairy. Wonderful. Yeah. Very cool. And then that, so if, if you have kind of a grainy quality to the ganache, then, then you know that there was something, is it, is it a time factor? Do some mass producers just try and like rush things or Uh, is it just a, not as much of attention to detail if, if they're messing it up? I think it's, it's honestly an attention to detail and some people, I don't think recognize it for what it is. You know, they think it's fine if it's, if it you know, if they can roll it into a truffle, then it's fine. Right. But um, I, I think that's where you get, you kind of go from B level to A level. Yeah. Honestly. Sure, sure. How do you, can you lead us through how you taste chocolate? I mean, is it's, mm-hmm. uh, th- th- it's an interesting thing because I feel like, um, 
you know, I teach a lot of people how to taste some, you know, uh, wine, which should seems like it's kind of self-explanatory, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how to taste chocolate. Yeah. So with chocolate, you're going to want to always taste light to dark. Okay. Um, and light being, you know, your white chocolates, then your milk chocolate, and then darkest, your your higher cocoa percentages. So you always want to start with that in mind. Okay. And then if you're going to be tasting, you know, several chocolates at a time, we always recommend having either some soda water or just, you know, regular distilled water. Um, and then, you know, the professionals, they will use polenta to palate cleanse. Wow. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's if you're going to be tasting, you know, more than maybe 15 or 20 chocolates at a time. You're, mm. you're going to want something like that. Um, but for home use, you know, I recommend six to eight chocolates is about as many as I would recommend tasting at a time. So you have palate fatigue as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so so I, you know, would just recommend room temperature water. Don't don't go cold. Right. Because what a lot of people don't realize, a lot of people ask me, oh, should I store these chocolates in the fridge? And I generally say no, unless it's the summer and it's Texas. So right. It's yeah. Hot. Um, but I generally say no, and the reason for that is because chocolate shuts down at colder temperatures. Right. You cannot get the full expression if you are trying to taste a chocolate that's 40 degrees. You really want a room temperature chocolate, yeah. so that's important as well. And so, I mean, the shelf life of chocolate is... It depends you know, on what it is. Depends on what it is. So yeah. most of your chocolates are going to be a year, even two years, if they're in bar form. Okay. Um, confections like ours, you know, three weeks. Yeah, wow. And so then when you're getting ready to taste, I mean, are your sensory perception of it, I mean, are, do you do you smell? Do you think about, yeah. you know, do you go through a grid just like uh, yeah. like wine tasters do? Yes. Yeah. So, so looking at chocolates, there's a couple different factors that you want to think about. There's snap which is when you break the chocolate in the bar, does it have an audible snap? You should be able to hear it. If it just sort of crumbles or breaks, then that means that it hasn't been tempered properly. And that's a whole nother segment that we can go into. (laughs) But basically, it's a sign of the quality and the craftsmanship of the bar. If it doesn't snap, um, that's not a good sign. Uh, The other thing that you want to look for is color. Does it look shiny? Um, does it look bright? Uh, anything that's dull or has a film on it, um, that's called bloom or that's another sign of imperfect tempering. And that's just either the chocolate maybe has gotten too hot. That could be something that happened in transit. That could be something that happened at the store that you bought it at. Hmm. It's not necessarily a sign of the craftsmanship of the maker on that. But that is a sign that you're tasting a less than perfect chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. And so then at that point, you know, I think the thing that you want to do is just put it on your tongue and let it melt Mm -hmm. and then smell and take in air as you're tasting it. Okay. Think about what you're tasting because you do get an evolution in the flavors as they come across your palate and you get, you know, that real textural experience at that point in time. Is it smooth? Is it viscous? Is it grainy? And really think about that as the chocolate is you know kind of going through the experience in your mouth. So how long do you let it um, kind of hang out in your mouth and as it melts? Well, and you kind of know that because one of the amazing things about chocolate is that it is designed well by nature to melt at body temperature. 
Wow. So Somebody designed that correctly. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> exactly. So chocolate really will, if you just set it in your mouth at a, in a certain amount of time, if it's at a room temperature chocolate, it will just sort of melt away and you don't have to chew it. You don't have, I have to never do done that. Like that. You got to yeah. try. <laughs> yeah. Do it yeah. tonight. I will. I will. Exactly. I will. And, and again, you know, you might not have the same experience trying this with the Hershey bar that you would have with another kind of chocolate right. because those are going to have more fillers in them, which isn't a pure cocoa content. Right. So you really want to look okay. at your ingredients list. And if you see any oils whatsoever, that's not not a good sign. That's Part. not a good sign. Okay. Um, so you want to see ingredients like cocoa butter, cocoa liquor, or cocoa solids that they're sometimes called. That's the dark part of the chocolate. Okay. And then of course there's almost always some sugar involved, um, and that's okay too. And then in your your milkier chocolates, you're going to have dairy as well. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. So that that's a very simple list of ingredients. Exactly. Quite yeah. short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what's your thought on the on the sugar piece? Um, is so I'm very sensitive to sweetness, and mm-hmm. I, I like very dark chocolates. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but I don't know. Is there is there a debate? Is it is it almost like almost always less is more? Um, no, sugar not, has its place though. Sugar definitely has its place. Yeah. I mean, most people I would say tap out at seventy percent of chocolate. So that so means when you see that, 95, it's almost like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a dark chocolate. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. a brute. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that, that would, that would be only 5% of the bar is, is sugar is sweet. And as many people know who've ever tasted some Baker's chocolate, I mean, right. that's, that can be pretty tough. Yeah. So I definitely enjoy a bit of sweetness, and I I would say most of what you're going to find on the shelves will be 70%. So that is 30% sugar. Okay. And that's totally acceptable. It also matters kind of how you're consuming it in what medium. And so for the heavier chocolate, like like you're... A fan of it sounds like I like for the record. I, I'm I'm a fan of seventy percent. Seventy's good. <laughs> seventy's really nice, just to taste by itself. Maybe even right. up to eighty, but beyond that, it gets to be pretty heavy. So right. that's where if you're going to consume it in a confection, it's a game changer because mm-hmm. then you're really using that flavor and that acidity, kind of that's coming out of the chocolate and par- putting it on a backbone of fat and sugar, and all of a sudden it's a game changer. So you get the intense flavor from the chocolate, but without that overwhelming tannic just yeah, aggressive right. nature of the bar chocolate right right That's right. right so even our 100 percent confection is is going to be lighter than eating a 100 percent bar because you were adding dairy and butter to it right, right so um i i i that's the only way I can really enjoy something more like a hundred percent. Yeah, you gotta have a little extra something extra. Something extra. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're just tuning in, uh, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm here with Tessa and Matt Halstead. They are owners of Sh- uh, Chocolatery Tessa um, and making wonderful confections. And uh, we will take a short break and be right back. 
Okay, we're back. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is another Bottle Down Radio where we talk about wine, the wine industry, and meet the wonderful people in our wine and food community. And today we're highlighting uh, Chocolaterie Tessa, um, Tessa Chocolate. And uh, I'm here with Tessa and Matt Halstead, who um, have been two years in Austin Mm -hmm. making wonderful chocolates. Um, And I'm really enjoying this conversation because I have realized I don't know much about chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you and everybody else. Yeah, right. And um, so, you know, we'll get into, we'll, we'll kind of round off the chocolate uh, tasting and, and uh, start uh, talking about your philosophies of, you know, wine and, and chocolate pairings. I know we're, we're rolling into the holidays. Chocolate and, and, and these very opulent experiences are on everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, and good luck for the holidays. I know that it's crazy in the, in the retail world. Um, everybody wanting to get their wonderful gifts and, uh, and, and impress their bosses and all that kind of thing. Um, what, uh, so, can, you know, how do you think about um, tasting wine and chocolate? I know I have my opinions pretty firm, uh, which I'd, l- I'd love to kind of have a, just a conversation about. And uh, let's start off by, Matt, you worked a little bit in the in the wine industry in Argentina. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, a little bit. That's right. <laughs> Tessa and I had been working for a little while and had, had just decided that we wanted to have an adventure and yeah. we wanted to to speak some Spanish and, and that led us to Argentina. And, you know, we made the decision to locate in Mendoza, which is the heart of Argentine wine what, country. So what, what made you decide that? Just Was it the wine piece or was it just a, a dot was, on the map? That was definitely a factor. I, I had grown up in Texas and, and been taking Spanish since I was five years old, but never really felt like I had mastered the language. So when we were thinking about living abroad, uh, Latin America was very high on my list because mm. I really wanted to master that language. Right. And I had, you know, growing up in the chocolate business, I had always had an interest in fine foods and had over the last couple years, you know, in college and young adulthood, had started drinking more wines and really, um, you know, finding an evolution in myself and, and learning more about wines and trying new things and enjoying that. Um, so when Matt said uh, to me, you know, I had this great experience in Mendoza in yeah. Argentina, you know, a couple of years ago, like maybe we should consider that. It was just kind of a no brainer for me. Cool. Yeah, it was as simple as that. We went for it. And, great. you know, the Mendoza is at the base of the Andes and it's just stunning. It really feels like in a lot of ways similar to Texas where you're in you're in the Wild West. Right. And it's gorgeous. And I think we went there and fell in love and we wanted to, you know, instead of, you know, be a tour guide or a bartender, we both wanted to to learn. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and wine was what had connected with me. Cool. And just kind of through a random turn of events got connected with a company called The Vines of Mendoza, which was really bridging the gap. Uh, for foreigners into Argentine wine country. Okay. And so, you know, that led us there. And what our, what the business was I was working for was effectively owners from all over the world coming and buying small plots of vineyards in Argentina and then working with, uh, you know, a staff of world-class winemakers to produce small batch uh, micro-fermentations. Cool. And so while there, we would have between 150 and 200 fermentations going at any point in time. And we had to be able to communicate to our owners everything from the farming to the production to the distribution of the wine business to wow. help them go from grape to bottle in their own home. Right. And so it was an amazing experience and yeah. learned 
you know, a little bit about a lot. Yeah. 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 So while Matt was learning a lot about wine, I was managing a restaurant, which was really the premier wine and food destination in downtown Mendoza. And they had this incredible cava, which was um, like a floor-to-ceiling wine library that was a 360-degree cellar. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I got to – I didn't learn quite as much about wine in my experience. I learned a lot more about food um, and managing a staff of 30 in Spanish, which was (laughs) – that that jump-started my (laughs) Spanish-speaking quite a bit. So, um, you know, Matt was really getting an amazing wine education, so he's got – maybe a little bit more to offer on the wine side than I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you certainly like wine and taste wine. And um, so so does wine pair with chocolate? It's tough. <laughs> it's a tough team. Okay. Because I, I feel like um, it's a very sexy concept. It is. And so it's sold out there. It's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's j- kind of jammed down people's throat. And, um, and I feel like most of the time it doesn't work. So it depends on what you're going for. If you're going for this amazing experience that you would seek out in a fine restaurant, you know, having this beautiful marriage of food and and wine together, that's really tough to recreate. But if you're just trying to have a great time with friends, people have a really fun time with it. And so I would say from a, from a technical perspective, I think it's, it's very difficult because the presence of the sugar in the chocolate and the tannins in the chocolate combined and clash with the wine in a way in which a lot of times it, a dry wine will taste sour. Right. And so one of the basic rule of thumb that we always have is your wine needs to be as sweet or sweeter than your chocolate. And, right. and you need to match the weight of the wine with the weight of the chocolate. And so what you often find is you're really limited to a lot of fortified wines and dessert wines. Yeah. And so most folks that are out with a group of friends are not looking to just drink Sauterne or <laughs> Tokage or right. you know late harvest red wine. Yeah, or port, the, you know, one of the mm-hmm. classics. Mm-hmm. That's a great pairing. So port wine and milk chocolate Pretty much any, is dynamite. Yeah, mm-hmm. any, t- any time. But you're right. Folks don't want to drink that uh, throughout the course of an evening as they're as they're having uh, chocolate. So. Right. Yeah. So so we've really worked to develop a couple, um, you know, major groups. And what I always kind of like to say is pair like with like. So um, sparkling, for instance, is a great pairing with white chocolate. Mm. And we have a wonderful white chocolate piece. That's one of my best sellers. It's a white chocolate passion fruit. And, um, so we pair that with a sparkling wine and it's, it's an absolutely lovely pairing. And especially for the holiday season, if you're looking for something a little bit celebratory, it's a great way to kick it off, right? Because you want to start with your lighter chocolates first. So sparkling, and a white is is the perfect start to that. But you do want to, you still want a touch of sweetness. So I wouldn't pair it with a brute or anything you know right. drier than that. You really want like we like to use an Asti Spumante right. that has mm-hmm. just a touch of sweetness to it, and it really is a beautiful combination. Yeah. But yeah. that that I would say is the be- the biggest thing is you just gotta have that that sweetness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but I mean, can it work with? I mean, a lot of your chocolates are are you know use a little less sugar uh, and and aren't as sweet as most chocolates. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, can you can you uh, find? I mean, maybe a little bit of fruit forwardness or, or yeah. Or, so like with our heavy, you know, our some of our single origin dark chocolate confections, for example, right. you know, a really juicy young 
Malbec or a Zinfandel or even a kind of fruit forward Syrah yeah. can really work. And if you get that almost kind of jammy fruit going on with a little bit of acidity and you almost have like an implied or imagined sweetness coming through from the fruit, right. I think it works well. Yeah. Anything with age to it, forget about it. Yes. So meaning you've got this, um, you know, really leathery sort of cigar box just will not work. No, like you probably want it to be in stainless like or neutral oak. If you're if you're doing any first use oak, right. any any, you know, really tannic red wine, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, when you know, it just and, and so when it goes badly, <laughs> it's just that you 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 bring out the bitterness of both. You, you bring out the bitterness, they clash, and you get a lot of sour yeah, flavors. Yeah, and, and acidic. Yep. Yeah. And I would say, honestly, in most cases, it, it really does work as long as you, you follow those general guidelines. Yeah. So, so uh, more specific then... You know, uh, you make a, a lot of styles. So, and you mentioned, uh, Matt, you mentioned that, you know, other dessert wines, Sauterne, is, is there, are there rules between Sauterne or, you know, port? Um, where would you go with each of those? You know, I think it's like pairing food with wine. You can either go for something that is very complementary to the flavor or you can try to, you know, compare and contrast. And yeah. so, you know, I think honey, I think white fruit, I think things like that with Sauterne. And so that could go really nice with an orange, you know, yeah. that could go really nice with a passion fruit. You know, I think, you know, for port, you have caramel, you have, you know, maple syrup, you have all these rich flavors that you would find in a caramel. Right. So those two can go together. Mm -hmm. well, you know, one thing that was really interesting is we tried a Barolo Canato with our dark chocolate. Yeah. And so you're putting on this vegetable, this herbal backbone yeah. that goes with some of the fruit and the spice and the smokiness of your dark chocolate and something that wouldn't be you know maybe a you know a typical pairing actually works really well together yeah so i think you can come at it from either angle and it will work yeah um what what would you you know what kind of tips if folks want to kind of do a an ex, you know a, a, a tasting party what would you just say, hey, um, try a bu buy a bunch of dessert wine, buy you know, buy a bunch of chocolates, and just give it a whirl? And mm, well, we I would be a little bit more structured than that. So, okay. so typically, I like. Um, and you do do chocolate and wine we uh, do. tastings, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, if you want to consult with someone, you can reach out to us. Um, but we also, if you want to do it at home, especially if you have a somewhat larger group, I think three chocolates and three wines is generally a good number. Yeah. You could go up to five if you're pretty ambitious. But generally, I say choose a white, choose a milk, choose a dark, choose a sparkling, choose a port, choose a red. Yeah, um, That's going to be your, you're going to cover all the bases of chocolate. Yeah. You're going to cover three different styles of wine. Um, so I, I really kind of would say choose a light milk and a dark. A sparkling, a tawny port is my favorite yeah. for a milk chocolate, and then some kind of red. Um, so if you stick with three, you, you're you not going to get too overwhelmed. You right. start to dive into five, um, you might have a little bit more challenge picking the right chocolates. Yeah, yeah. So if you're trying to pick the chocolate, um, I definitely would recommend going to a shop like ours or looking... Um, definitely looking for a higher quality bar. Yeah. So again, you know, somewhere 
that's going to carry that. Yeah. yeah, the challenge with the variety is you run out of wine before you run out of chocolate. And so <laughs> and you're kind of doing more like for like with your wine options. But, you know, with three, you just get a dynamite sparkling, put it with your white, the port with your right. milk, and then, you know. And I have to mention, uh, I'm going to throw out one of my favorite chocolate and, and uh, wine pairings that folks out there might not uh, know about this wine, but it's a, you know, it's near Osti, which you mentioned, mm-hmm. and it's uh, kind of the red version, uh, Brachetto d'Aqui, which is a, uh, it's a lighter in alcohol, but it's a red, it's basically the red version of Moscato d'Asti, oh. and uh, it's it's wonderful, and I, I, I love it with, uh, with chocolate, and so I like to highlight things that folks might not uh, readily know out there. Um, well, wonderful. We, we're actually um, running short on time, so I wanted to thank you so much for for coming in. Any final thoughts? Where 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 is this the chocolate industry going? Uh, I I think it's going towards single origins, like yeah. we've talked about. Um, we're definitely some of the honestly the handful of chocolatiers in the world that work with the quality of chocolates that we work with. And, you know, we've chosen that route because that is the way we feel chocolate is going. Yeah. People, particularly in Austin, want to feel a connection to their food. They want to feel a connection to where it was grown and who farms it and how it's made and what are the ingredients. And, and that's something that's still fairly new. Right. And um, that's something that we are very passionate about promoting. Do folks in Europe, you know, uh, have they, you know, are we behind on them or do they take certain things for granted? I think we're quite ahead. Yeah. 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 Like Matt mentioned earlier, uh, some of these craft chocolatiers that we have in America. Well, I meant from the from the consumer end. Oh, um, I'd say really what we're behind on is incorporating chocolate into our daily lives like Mm. Europeans do. I grew up eating chocolate every day. I still do. Uh, But for most people in America, that's not the case. Um, And I think that, honestly, that's part of the obesity problem that we have. Um, Chocolate is a great alternative to sweets. It's very satiating. You don't need a lot of it to enjoy a little bit of sweetness. And um, so I highly recommend incorporating chocolate into your daily ritual. And I think if more people did, we might have a little bit more of a European style waistline. Well, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it's something that's very um, interesting as to where if you have something truly fine that you uh, spend time to think about and to savor, and it's not this kind of gluttonous, give me, you know, um, and, and without thought, you mm-hmm. know, you need less. It's the same thing on the wine side of things. I mean, um, when you spend time over a glass of wine, you know, you wind up, uh, drinking less and, and, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, what are the health, the health benefits? I mean, other than kind of just satiating that, that, uh, you know, that piece of, of sweetness is, are there other health benefits to chocolate? Absolutely. And more and more is being discovered every day. Uh, the number one thing that I'm hearing about now is really the heart health benefits. And that's because that there are compounds and chemical compounds in chocolate that are blood thinners. And so that improves circulation and your heart health. So 
that's that's a scientific huge, fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also a lot of benefits in terms of antioxidants, which are you know cancer fighters. And um, I think that the more that we study chocolate, the more we realize the benefits of fermented foods and how that comes into play. So it's right. not just a gimmick. It's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you eat chocolate uh, in the evening or in the morning? Or <laughs> I eat it all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really do. Um, but I, I generally eat chocolate um, just a little bit at a time. Never, yeah. I'm never going to sit down and eat six or seven pieces at once. Yeah, yeah. Well, wonderful. I wanted to thank you guys, Matt and Tessa um, Halstead, and thank you so much for being. Keep up the great work at your shop. Thank you. Tessa's thank you. Chocolate. And give us the website uh, for folks wanting it's more information. www.chocolateritessa.com. And I say that's like winning the chocolate lottery. Chocolate lottery. <laughs> well, we will be doing that. We'll be playing the lottery and we'll be hoping to win. Well, we're guaranteed to win. You are, yeah. indeed. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, this is another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, KOOP 91.7 FM and KOOP.org.